good to be back here. Amen. Last time I preached, I was on a little screen. <laughs> it's become, <clears throat> excuse me, it's become sort of difficult to have to do that all the time. But it's kind of like the new normal. Um, last Wednesday, was it Wednesday? Uh, everything has become a blur in my mind now. But some, one, of the, one of the days in this, in this week, I started at 6 a.m. And it was 7 p.m. and I was turning off the computer. <laughs> it's, it's become crazy. I guess we discovered Zoom or something like that. And anyways, <laughs> anyways, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be a part of worship with you today and to enjoy being in each other's presence. Um, I wanted to take a moment to say a couple of things about this last year, how it has been difficult for everybody. But it has also been, besides having to deal with so much loss and so much pain and illnesses around us, it, it has also been a blessing I'll give you an example. In 40 days, it'll be a, month, a year. With this pandemic thing that caused me to stop running around and getting, getting off one plane to jumping into another and going from one place to the other, I had a chance to finally sit down and complete writing what was my, you know, my doctoral dissertation. And in 40 days, I would celebrate one year of defending successfully that dissertation. Now, that's not the point here. The point here is that that day when I defended my professor, who was leading in the process, asked me, Ivan, what are, what's the first thing you're going to do after this? I said, I'm going to read a book I want to read, not a book I need or I'm, I've been asked to read. And I'm going to get back to that. During the pandemic, also, some of us did things that we needed to do, and we have been talking about doing it, and so finally we have done it. And one of those is one of our very own here in our church became an endorsed chaplain by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Marie Angeli. She is now a chaplain endorsed and authorized by the church to perform the duties of a chaplain. And so, Mariangeli, you received something on the mail. When we voted your endorsement, you received a certificate, and you received a couple of things, and then you immediately after you, the, you did that, you were a part of the World Congress of Chaplains. Did you get all the, th the, the little trinkets that they sent? Well, that, that was, sent, was sent by the General Conference because the World Congress was a General Conference event. But as an endorser, my responsibility was to work with Marie Angeli, as she was working on that. And I would like to give you today the two things I give every chaplain when they become endorsed. And I try to give them in, to them in person. So please come up here. You got one of these on, over in the mail, but no, this is this one. The one you got was from the General Conference. This is from the North American Division. First, first I'm giving you the official pin of a chaplain. Um, it says that you are an Adventist chaplain wherever you are. So you can put it on, on yourself. And then 
chaplains are interesting folk. We tend to be a little creative. And so um, every chaplain in the North American division has received one of these. This is important because as a chaplain, you're called to be light. And so we want to remind you <laughs> that you are a light into the world. Thank you. Welcome to the Chaplain Mary We are Chaplain Mariangeli. Welcome. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Now, going back to what I said to my professor, the first thing I was going to do was read something I wanted to read, not something I had been asked or forced to read. And so I started reading an interest, a book that somebody gave me the year before, and it was in my library, kind of getting some dust, with an interesting title. The title of that book, The Unhurried Leader. And that's another blessing in disguise that this pandemic brought us. It brought the entire world to a halt. We had been running around like chicken without heads. We had been going here like, how, how does the Bible say? Running to and fro? We had been running from one place to the other, not taking the time to even stop and smell the roses or smell the world around us. We had been running, 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 running. And so when I come to this book, I say, when I come to this book and I'm in the middle of that pandemic, that's the first book I picked up. I wanted to read about slowing down. Can you blame me? I mean, the year before, uh, 2019, I boarded 136 flights in a year. You know what that means? 136. So stopped everything got stopped. And now I'm sitting down. And the premise of this book the unhurried leader is that you can only be good leader. You can only be a good leader when you stop and let Jesus lead you. Think about that. When you stop and let Jesus, it's not talking about stopping and letting a man or, you know, maybe a leader, an important leader of the world. No, you stop and let Jesus lead you. And that inspired me to sit down and, th and start thinking about how did Jesus walk? How did Jesus walk? Peter, as he is talking to some leaders, he tells them, that was our scripture reading. Thank you, Jedediah, for reading that. Paul, Paul, Peter says that Jesus stopped to see the need. And today I'd like to share with you three stories from the Bible.
that began with the realization that Jesus was never in a hurry. Let me just highlight that again. Begins with the realization that Jesus was never in a hurry. Everybody around him was in a hurry, but not Jesus. It's not that Jesus sauntered lazily around. No, 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 no. He was coming from one place to another, but he always made time for people. Always made time for people. That's why Paul, Peter says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus made time and he had patience for Nicodemus who came to him in the middle of the night, John chapter 3. Jesus made time for the rich young ruler, even though he knew the rich young ruler wouldn't follow his counsel. He still made time to speak with him. Jesus made time for the little children. Even when the disciples said, no, the, the, the Savior doesn't have time for them, Jesus made time for children. He had time to pause and heal a crippled man who interrupted him while he was preaching. Mark chapter 2. He made time to heal blind people who needed to be healed. He stopped in the middle of the road and healed 10 lepers. Luke chapter 17. Are you with me? Let's consider three stories from the Bible in which Jesus made himself available to those who most needed him as he passed by. With me? Let's open up our Bible. Luke chapter 19 is the first story. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the, King James, the New King James Version. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Verse 3. And he sought to see who Jesus was. Let me stop there. He sought to see who Jesus was. He wasn't looking for, he just wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get to know Jesus. He wanted to know who he was. Apparently, he had heard about Jesus, but he had not seen or met Jesus in person. So, he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. It's a typical, typical scene. As Jesus enters the city, there's a crowd of people crowding him. There was a bunch of people always following Jesus. And John says that they were always following Jesus because they wanted to get fed. <laughs> they wanted food. They had seen him perform the miracle, so they want, oh, this guy is going to solve all our problems. So we got to follow him wherever he goes. So there's a crowd following him. He, he comes into Jericho. This is the typical scene. scene. He enters the city and people throng around him so tightly that poor Zach cannot see him. 
I call him Zach. I just want to make the, the name a little easier to pronounce. Hey, Zach. The attractional nature of Jesus naturally drew the crowds to him. In desperation, our little Zach ran ahead and shimmied up a tree along the route. And when Jesus, now this is an interesting thing in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay in your home. I've always envisioned this big smile in Jesus' face, looking up that little man, middle-aged in that tree. He's making a fool of himself. No middle-aged man will be climbing no tree nowadays. Come on, you. You know that. He's making a fool of himself all because he wants to meet and see Jesus. But this is interesting. Zach has not told anybody about it, but Jesus knows his heart. Right? Amen. Jesus could have kept walking and simply nodded to him. That would have been enough. But not Jesus, not for Jesus. Jesus stops and addresses, his by na addresses him by name. Now, this is interesting. Let's just think that this is, we have lost this in the last year because we have to be with this thing called social distancing and all that. But so, but, you know, let's just imagine this for a moment. There is no social distancing. Everybody is galloping around Jesus and they're crowding him. And they want, they're walking with him as they are walking through the city of Jericho, right? And then all of a sudden, the person that they're following stops without giving anybody warning. What happens to all the ones around him? They're just bumping to each other. Come on, people. Aren't they? They're just bumping with each other. So the crowd bumps onto Jesus, and they bump into each other, as Jesus stops to take care of this curious little man. And then Luke, 16, Luke 19 verse 6 says, So he, Zach, made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus must have been impressed by Zach's creativity in order to get close to him. This is so refreshing that someone is so eager to be near Jesus that they're willing to make a fool of themselves. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> so much in so much desire to get to know Jesus that he was willing to make a fool of himself. Interesting fact. Jesus is criticized for this action. Don't he know who he is going to be staying with? Oh, my goodness. Can I, can I share a secret with you? Those who are criticizing Jesus 
are the religious people, are the ones who are supposed to be supporting Zach. And as we were discussing this morning a little bit, the Sabbath school lesson when I, when I came in, Aaron and Mary should have known better. They're the religious people there. You see, sometimes we believe that because we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, we're all that. But there's one reality that's as big as the heavens that are on top of us. I may be a Seventh-day Adventist, but I'm as much a sinner than a Catholic or an Episcopalian or a Methodist. I'm as much a sinner as they are. And I need the blood of Jesus as much as they do. Let us never forget that. We need Jesus as much as anybody else. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that they're right or no, 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 no. What I'm saying is we all need Jesus. We all need the blood of Jesus in order to get into heaven. Regardless of what denomination you are, regardless of what you believe, you need to believe that Jesus is the only way. And you need to obey what Jesus says. That's as clear as the Bible can put it. And that's exactly the example that Zach gives us. Because Jesus came to him and said to him, I'm, I need to stay in your house tonight. So please hurry up. Get ready. And so he makes haste, he hurries up, he gets down from the sycamore tree, goes to his house, prepares everything, and the people that is supposed to be happy that he is getting his life turned around start attacking Jesus, but Jesus doesn't care. Why? Because Jesus was carrying his mission. He indeed came to seek and to save those who were lost. And Zach was one of those, right? Amen. So the first story we find today, Jesus stops in the middle of the road to see a person that is willing to make a fool of, them, of themselves in order to get close to Jesus. I'm sure you can think of someone who has made a fool of themselves as they trying to get close to Jesus. Yeah. Now, there's another story. And for this story, I'm going to take you to the previous gospel in the Bible, the gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Come with me, Mark chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read for verse, from verse 21 on, and it says, Now, when Jesus has, had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered by him. Let's... let's Put a stop in here just for a moment. Jesus and his disciples get into the boat because there's too many people around and they just want to get away for a moment. They just want to get a little bit of a respite. So they get on the boat and they cross the sea. When they talk about the sea, they're talking about the Sea of Galilee. Okay? So they're crossing over and they went across over again by boat to the other side. But here's the thing. The only respite they had was the trip from one side of the, of the lake to the other side of the lake. Because when they get on the other side, there's a multitude waiting for them on the other side. And he was by the sea. 
And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came named Jairus. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Verse 24 at the end. Again, there's a crowd around Jesus, seemingly causing him to move painfully slowly toward Jairus' house. Why? There's a reason. Jairus comes to Jesus and said, I need you to come. My daughter's sick. I need you to heal her. There's a certain degree of urgency, right, in the call. There's a certain degree of I need you and I need you now. Doc, every time I hear, I heard in the hospital, when I was a hospital chaplain, I, I always heard the word stat, chaplain stat to the ER. And I, I still don't understand. Can you help me? What stat mean? Stat, S-T-A-T. What? Uh, it, it means immediate. Okay. The, all right. <laughs> so neither you nor, okay. I don't feel that bad then. <laughs> it means immediately. I think if Jairus had the opportunity to use a pager or a phone or something like that, he would have said to Jesus, I need you in my house, stat. Because there is nothing that would make a parent more worried than getting to know that their children are sick. I have seen parents do things that they wouldn't normally do when they are stressed because their children are sick. Oh, I saw, a I saw a father grab a doctor by the collar in an emergency room because he wasn't moving as fast as he wanted him to move. I've seen parents do some things like that. So again, the crowd is causing him to move painfully slowly towards the house of Jairus. The traffic of the crowd seems to stand still as Jairus is likely polite, but very anxious for Jesus to quickly get to his house. As this snail-paced procession, snail-paced procession, makes its way down the street, just like Zacchaeus, there was a woman who looked for a way to get close to Jesus. Remember that's part of the story? 25 to 29. Mark 25 to 29. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And, was, and had suffered many things from many physicians. Notice interesting here what Mark is saying. She had suffered not so much for her illness. Her illness was already a suffering. But she had also suffered from physicians. I think the idea here that some physicians, quote unquote, had dried her out completely. It's interesting, the images that we use here, because on the one side, she has a, blue, a, a, a flow of blood, but on the other side, her resources are dried up. Her finances are dried up. There is Nothing more. For 12 years, this woman has tried everything to fix 
her problem and is not fixed. And she thought, oh, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Remember that story? You all know that. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made well. Immediately, when she touched it, what happened? She was healed. Now, this story is known as the touch of faith. This woman's desire to be healed drew her to get closer to Jesus. Jesus was moving slowly, and I would like to suggest that Jesus was moving slowly on purpose in this case, just so that he could provide the opportunity for her to get close to him. Unlike touch football, where someone runs with, while purposely avoiding being touched, Jesus is slowing down so that he can be touched. And look what happened, verses 30 to 34. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around and in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched me? And then one of the disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging around you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her, who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Again, imagine with me the smile that must have been in Jesus' face. as he heard the testimony of this woman. For 12 years I've suffered, Lord, and no one could help me. She spent all her own resources to no avail. But in faith, she reached out to Jesus, quite literally, and she was healed. Daughter, he said to her, you're part of my family now. Can, do you see that? You're part of me. Jesus had made time, like in a game of freeze tag, from the moment the woman touched him, he stopped in order to seal her assurance of healing and faith in him. Now, this is interesting because while he was still speaking, verse 35 and 36, some came from the rulers of the synagogue's house, Jairus, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother him anymore. Not only has the little girl died, but they're giving him, giving into the notion that Jesus is too busy to come to the house at this point. Let him be. Are you with me? You understand what I'm trying to say here? I can imagine the thoughts in the mind of Jairus. I knew we weren't traveling fast enough. I knew we weren't going to get there. But Jesus interrupts everybody, interrupts the doubters, and says, 
Don't be afraid. Only believe. Look at that. Don't be afraid, only believe. And what happens next? They get to the house. You all know what happens. They start talking about, no, 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 you know, the, 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 the people are crying. Even when we think of all hope gone, Jesus has the answer. Even when we think that the hope is gone, Jesus is never late. Jairus, you were thinking that we were moving too slow? Don't worry about it. I got this. Don't worry about it. So Jesus is no, ignores the, the scoffers and brings only the parents and three of his disciples with him into the bedroom where the child lays motionless and shuts the door. And then he took the child by the hand and said, Talita kumi, which means, yes. And the girl immediately arose and walked. Not only that, she comes out and said, I'm hungry. Ain't that a beautiful demonstration of the returning of humanity to that girl? Hey, I'm hungry. Can I get some food? Also, food is a, as a sign of celebration. They gather around the table. Listen, I'm so happy we're already in July. You know what? Why that? Why is that? Because we're just going down the hill to Thanksgiving and Christmas. Jesus wasn't late. Jesus is never late. He just wanted to make sure that we heard the story and that we understood that he always have, has the time. And then one last story. One last story. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Now, this is a little bit, I got I to gotta read it exactly as I wrote it here. Of the 31,426 words that Jesus spoke, you, you may want to take note of this because it took me a little bit uh, researching this whole thing. Jesus spoke in total that are registered in the Gospels, 31,426 words. 326 of them <clears throat> were directed to the Samaritan woman. This is a mere 1% of his recorded words in the New Testament. But it is one of the longest conversations recorded by John. The only longest one is the one with Nicodemus, who ha which has 350 white, 355 words. And some, some pastors have too much time in their hands now that I share with this. <laughs> so John chapter 4. Verses 5 through 8. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, being tired from his journey, see, sat thus near the well, 
it was about the sixth hour. In other words, about this time, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to him, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. Jesus is weary, sitting alone in Jacob's well. And he sees a woman and says, please, give me a drink. Give me some water. He's in the right place to ask for the right thing. But th those words are interesting because they were not just a conversation starter. The, you see, it was culturally forbid forbidden for someone to refuse a, dr uh, a drink of water. So if I came to your house, Linda, and asked you for a drink of water, culturally, you are, you are obligated to give me the water that I'm asking you for. This is important. Why? Well, even the fresh water would help alleviate his thirst. Jesus was making himself available in conversation to one whom the Jews considered unworthy and unclean. Why? First of all, because she was a woman. Second of all, because she was a Samaritan. And third of all, you will find out later on, because she has had five husbands, and the one that she now has is not even hers. So she is a sinner. The woman had at least three strikes against her. She was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was a sinner. Verses 9 through 10. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. For Jews have, not deal have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying unto you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she's like, what? How? Hold on. I don't see any bucket in your hand. I don't see any way of you, for you to get the water out. How do you tell me that you can give me water and you're asking me to give you water? This doesn't make sense. Are you with me? This really doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then look what Jesus does. Jesus said unto her, verses 16 through 18, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And then Jesus said, Yep, you're right. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one, whom with, the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you speak the truth. Quick, change the subject. Let's not talk about this. Let's change the subject. Jesus is revealing her secrets, making her scream a little bit. But yet he calmly remains at the well, ready to listen and to go deeper. She's both embarrassed, but also curious as to how this stranger knows so much about her. Verses 19 to 24. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. For those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's a that's a mouthful, right there. When all else fails, pick up a controversial topic so that you can take away the attention. The Samaritans and the Jews have been fighting with each other. But notice how Jesus uses that same problem to bring her back to reality, to bring her back to the here and now. The moment has come that you need to worship in spirit and in truth. But that's not... You're trying to get away from the conversation. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not going to let you. That's the interesting thing about my Jesus. He knows what I need even before I realize it. Then he goes into another layer deeper, revealing to this woman an incredible fact. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. And then Jesus says to her, something he didn't say much to a lot of people, but he needed to say it to her at that very moment. I who speak to you, I am he. The woman is the one of the few that Jesus overtly claimed that he was the Messiah. Wow, that's so cool. And at this point, his disciples came back. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. That's important. Because she came seeking water. And she left the instrument that she needed to seek the water, to get the water. She left her water pot and then ran back to the city and told everybody. And he said, she said to everybody, come with me. Come with me. Let's go meet this guy who has told me everything I have done. Come with me. And they said, look, look, this is interesting. Verses 39 to 42. And many of the Samaritan of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had, had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for, you, for we ourselves have heard him, 
and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, this is interesting because I'm telling you, I'm talking about Jesus walking slowly, right? He is on the way somewhere, and he stops at Samaria. He's not supposed to stay there, but because he finds people that need him, he stays two days. I don't care if I get to Jerusalem late. I'm needed here now. And the Bible tells me that many of them believes, believed. They believe the woman's testimony. And they also believe because Jesus met them themse for themselves. Jesus gladly lingered for two full days in order to spend time with all those that came to see him. Jesus was never in a hurry or a rush, but always made time for people. Jesus took the time for Zacchaeus. And he helped them, help him to get free from dependence on his own wealth. He set free that woman from 12 years of affliction. He set free that little girl from the grips of death. And he set free a Samaritan woman from the bonds of sin and prejudice and offered her living waters. So if Jesus did that for those four people, can you imagine what he can do for you and for me? Amen. What would happen to our lives, to our families, and the witnesses that we live if we did like Jesus? What would happen if he were to stay and linger with you and with me? What would happen to our lives if we made time for people? All to be like Jesus. All to be like him. Let's walk with him. And stop wherever he needs us to stop. Let's see. I think we're going to sing... Something to, are, are we going to sing? I, I, let's do the song first and then the closing prayer. We finish our service today. That your blessing will cover us. But most of all, do, that you would teach us to walk humbly and slowly with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.